Hello and welcome to the Friday, February 11th, 2022, pre-Valentine's Day edition of On Iowa Politics. Support provided by New Pioneer Co-op, celebrating 50 years as Eastern Iowa's source for locally and responsibly sourced groceries, with stores in Iowa City, Coralville, and Cedar Rapids, and online through Co-op Cart at newpi.coop. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And with me today are Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Aaron Murphy, State House Bureau Chief for the Gazette. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. This week, the other caucuses, a quiet week in the legislature, and legitimate political discourse. When people are talking about the Iowa caucuses, they usually are talking about the presidential election year circuses that attract the attention of the world. However, Iowa Republicans and Democrats had their off-year caucuses Monday with much less fanfare and much lower attendance. But Amy, that didn't mean there wasn't any enthusiasm, right? No, there was some. I mean, you know, as much as can be garnered with an off-year caucus, for sure. Um, I went to the once in uh, Blackhawk County, I, I attended the UAW one. Obviously, Democrats hold a two to one voter advantage here. So there's a little bit more um, uh, candidate speeches and, and things that were going on at this. So so yeah, there was, it was nothing like, you know, your Iowa caucuses on a presidential year, pretty obviously, but you know, they, they still they still get some two minute candidate speeches, two minute elected official speeches in there and try to drum up support. So it's still kind of what I would call like the unofficial kickoff to the campaign if, if you really have one. Was there anything uh, that hinted at presidential politics? The only thing that hinted at presidential politics was the idea that they did not want Trump to uh, be president again in, in two years. So so that's really the driver, I think, for, for Democrats. Um, I don't know if they're necessarily um, talking about um, any other candidates at this point, and they're not really talking too much about Biden. Um, so I think they're really just focused on the midterms. Reports I saw indicated that some places had good turnout for an off year, while others saw very low attendance. I guess that's to be expected. Party building isn't nearly as sexy as launching the next president. Amy, you heard First District Democratic challenger Liz Mathis at the caucus you covered. She seems to think this race is competitive. Yeah, she's she's buoyed right now by um, a Cook political report that moved it from really solid Republican to only probably Republican. So that's uh, part of it. She did mention um, on Monday that she was um, looking forward to uh, trying to get out the 18,000 plus uh, extra Democrats that are in the district versus Republicans. So based on that, based on her pretty decent fundraising numbers, um, obviously not the fundraising numbers that Hinson is pulling in, but they're they're not Dieter Dejir numbers. You know what I mean? Like she's she's running a pretty good race at this point. Um, she's she's able to fundraise. Um, she's got some polling that's moving in her direction. So I think all of that comes together and, and sort of is able to buoy her. And, and obviously we've got a lot of time till the next election. Overall, Todd, uh, what's the takeaway from these caucuses, um, from any off-year caucuses? Well, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm surprised that they got the turnout they did when they were, you know, going up against The Bachelor, which is on Monday nights. And I think there's broad, <laughs> there's broad bipartisan support, according to my research, that someone named Shanae is, is up to no good. So I don't know if that 
discussion bled into the off your caucuses or not, but but I think that's uh that's something. Is that, that a Batsa reference that we're supposed to? Make? Yeah, yeah, I think okay. so. I'm not. Uh, my daughter went back to college; otherwise, it would have been on TV in our house on Monday night. So uh, I would have known more. Mm-hmm. So I'm just I'm giving you the few facts I could I could gather. So, uh, but you know, I, I suppose that, you know it's it's sort of party organization and, you know, a little kind of a pep talk type situation as the election year starts. And, and Democrats would certainly need sort of a pep talk the way things are going. So uh, if they if they came out of those caucuses feeling better about their chances, I think that would be a, a major accomplishment. But I, you know, it's it's hard to say. Amy, uh, given Todd's bachelor reference there, were there any roses at the caucus? <laughs> You know, uh, Liz got some good applause, so I think they would probably have given the rose to her. Um, we also had Glenn Hurst there. He got a decent, um, you know, at least people were listening to him generally. Um, but but I think maybe, you know, he, he's got a tough road ahead of him, you know, given that he's going to be taking on Abby Finkenauer, who is uh, slightly more well-known. So, And then um, the Republicans also had a caucus. Like, you know, we failed to mention that. Um, they spread theirs out a little bit um, just to give people a little closer caucus. Um, but as a result, they had sort of, you know, less turnout. And again, it's an off year. Um, they don't have um, any elected officials in Black Hawk County that are Republicans. So that's also, you know, going to be a factor in whether people come out. But I did hear that a couple former elected officials like Margaret Klein, who is a, a city councilor, was also there. So, yeah, not a ton of roses. And don't forget, you're competing against the Winter Olympics. So that's also a tough one. Oh, yeah. The Winter Olympics. That's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It was a quiet week in the Iowa legislature. Well, it started quietly as lawmakers took the day off Monday so they could be back home in their districts for the caucuses. But Aaron, they made up for the time off the next three days. Uh, A bill to live stream K-12 classes died. I guess Hulu wasn't interested after all. You covered a hearing on banning dirty books and jailing teachers and librarians. Will the PTA have to start raising bail money? Well, if Governor Reynolds' uh, proposal to give them all a $1,000 retention bonus goes through, maybe they can put that towards it. That's going to be interesting to watch going forward uh, because it's different few bills that have been introduced on that topic. That's obviously the one that goes a little bit farther, um, allowing parents to, you know, if they don't, um, aren't satisfied with the response from the school district when they challenge these books, that they can then turn around and, and sue the, the teacher, the administrator, the school. And then if, if a judge rules in favor of the parents that the, the teacher, that there would be punishments, penalties um, for that. It, it's pretty clearly going to pass committee because uh, it's going through the Judiciary Committee, which Brad's on chairs and he's spoken out on this and, and was on the bill on the subcommittee. So pretty clear that he'll move that through his judiciary committee. I, I assume he'll find the votes for that there. Beyond that, um, it'll be interesting because uh, Jack Whitfer and, and um, Pat Grassley, Senate Majority Leader and House Speaker, have both kind of kept their arm's length from this specific proposal. Um, they've, they've talked about wanting to focus more on transparency and, and, and have expressed hesitation about embracing you know enhancing creating or enhancing penalties for 
teachers and, and librarians. So taking that on its face value, this bill doesn't have a future. Um, but I know that uh, for, from being in that hearing and from interviewing Senator Chapman, he is <clears throat> very uh, passionate about this. And he's not no one. He's the Senate president. Um, so it will be interesting to see moving forward, at, at the very least in the Senate, um, you know, Pat Grassley doesn't have to care about that necessarily, but Jack Whitford is going to hear from his fellow Republican Senate leader about this, I'm sure. And it'll be interesting to see how far this goes. And, and Aaron, do I understand correctly that this bill sort of changes the definition of obscenity uh, from sort of the, what has been the standard? Yeah, so I, I, I am... 99% confident in this and, and it, it does not for the purposes of um, in, in schools it, um, it, it, it does maintain the current definition the, the, the one place it did change it as I was looking at the bill is for um, like rentals then they don't like or, or, or and I can't remember if it was like purchase as well but it was basically like in a retail setting, you don't have to um, – the whole part uh, – and I apologize as I'm stumbling over to explain this. The current definition of obscene materials has what's – this kind of forgiveness that it, even if it may be deemed obscene to some people, if it has literary value or educational value – then it's not considered an obscene material. That that piece remains in this bill as it pertains to books in schools and libraries. They did pull that piece out in the retail space. So, like, if you go to a if they, if it's in a store that, then I, I guess you know they could take it out and and don't have to prove that it has literary value. But as far as the part piece of it in school, and that would be huge. Because if that ever did get changed, because um, honestly, that's what's enabling districts right now to, you know, say, no, we're going to keep these books around is because they can say, yeah, there may be a, a passage here um, or, or one image that's maybe a little graphic, but uh, taken as a whole, and that's another phrase that's in that part of the law, taken as a whole um, it has literary or educational value. Um, so if that were to ever be removed, that would that would significantly change that debate. But as I understand it, that it, that remains even under Chapman's bill. Folks championing medical freedom, not to be confused with free medical, are upset that they might have to wear a face mask or get vaccinated to protect themselves and others from a pandemic that has already claimed more than 912,000 American lives. Got a hearing, too. And folks worried that transgender girls will dominate the sports record books advanced a bill to require schools that get public funding to designate sports programs as one of the following, open to biological females, open to biological males, or co-educational. And in between that, the House approved $179 million in new money for K-12 schools. Anything in, in that list worth talking about, Todd? Amy? 
<laughs> Maybe the fact that like you'll need to use some of those reserves for like lawyers to 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 challenge the the court cases that are come because they might be stepping on more than one federal law. <laughs> well, there goes your tax code. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I know a lot of uh, Republicans are very worried now about girls' sports and women's sports. But I mean, let's face it. This is this bill. This this transgender sports bill is. I mean, it's just. It's not about athletics. It's about politics. I think we all know that. I mean, this is this is you know an effort to target transgender kids uh, with the hope that it whips up the the you know the base of the Republican Party, evangelicals, and others that uh, you know are made uncomfortable by this. I mean. I guess it's too bad they're uncomfortable, but it also should be, they should be reminded that it's not really about them. It's about education and kids and civil rights. And, and we have a civil rights protection in Iowa for gender identity, although it doesn't apply to sports. So we've got a girls union that can, you know, has been dealing with this. I mean, the, the civil rights code was updated in 2007. So we've had what, 14 going on 15 years of gender identity protection. And this hasn't really become a real problem in Iowa. They can cite, you know, an example in Pennsylvania or New Hampshire and, and this hypothetical situation where, you know, 85 uh, boys track runners transition and, 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 you know, dominate the state track meet, which I think is a, a pretty big stretch to, to put it <laughs> to put it mildly so i mean you know it, it, and we're seeing all of the i mean you know, you know all of this crazy stuff around the state i mean i saw the carroll school district had to put out a statement saying that they don't have litter boxes in their restrooms to accommodate yes. to accommodate <laughs> students who identify as animals the same rumor has gone around at at linmar where my kid kid goes to school uh, you know, and as as Aaron mentioned last week, he had the the uh, the person from Iowa Falls or from Hardin County say that you know people are students are masturbating in the classroom. I mean, I think we've just kind of lost our minds in all of this, and this this transgender bill is is cut from the same cloth that people are 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 just desperate to you know make their discomforts into law and to uh, you know target these these kids who already feel like they have a target on their back. It's, it's pretty shameful, frankly, but it's not surprising. I mean, the governor's advocated for this and I have, I have no doubt they'll probably end up passing it. I, I should just point out real quick for uh, clarification and bookkeeping's sake. Um, and one of the more interesting moments of that subcommittee hearing on the, on the book on Senator Chapman's book bill um the young woman who apparently the student who uh, apparently was the one who was um, I don't know what the verb here is. But she was sitting next to the student who apparently began uh, allegedly began masturbating during class t- came and testified at that at that bill. So um, I think the larger point still here remains here um, that. Um, a person who came to speak on school choice uh, using one isolated incident as some um, broader issue of of widespread uh, 
students uh, masturbating in public schools is, um, f- I think, still fair to point out is a little over the top and, and maybe even worth a little bit of uh, um the 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 let's just be polite and say gentle ribbing it appear it it uh, received online um uh but to to you know in the in in the interest of fairness and complete you know um transparency apparently that did happen according to this uh, young woman who who came and testified about it um at the and and so to to, to answer the your next question intrepid listener what does that have to do with books Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think the the and I, and obviously I'm just reporting this. I'm not saying this uh, from my perspective, but I think the the link that is trying to be that was trying to be made, and we heard a couple speakers at that meeting say it is that it's these books are creating a culture in our children that you know it's the whole downfall of society thing. So so this kid was masturbating in class because these books are in libraries. I, I thought no. I thought we kids have been masturbating in class for years. <laughs> I thought I thought the I thought the downfall of society wasn't it? I thought jazz did that, or maybe rock and roll. It was also jazz. Elvis uh, is hip. Well, and one one, one more one one more point about the transgender bill. I mean, this is this is just a scare tactic, and we've and we've seen these are the these are the same folks that years ago told us that we couldn't let same sex couples. Uh, adopt children because it would harm children, and then we couldn't we couldn't let them get married because it would destroy traditional marriage. Now, if and we have tra- and people would be marrying lawnmowers, right? Yeah, exactly. The- so, so now that if we have transgender rights, it's going to des- destroy women's sports. Uh, I don't know how many more times they can be wrong before we <laughs> just we just you know maybe stop listening to them. But well, they have the year of you Republicans. Because you might so. know better how much of this is red meat. You know, how much of this is really not actually going to get passed? Yeah, and I saw something this week, and I wish I could remember now off the top of my head so I can't cite the source or, or story. Or maybe it was even just in conversation with someone. But they, they talked about it, and it kind of illustrates maybe a little bit of a difference in leadership style um, between the leaders we have now in Jack Whitford and Pat Grassley versus uh, past leaders of, of either party um, at the state house in that this is the time of year early in the session before that first funnel, when any bill can be filed and any bill can be considered that they're all still eligible. And this is when you sometimes get bills that uh, most people will consider, you know, on the extreme edges uh, again, in either political direction. And in, in the past, um, and this uh, again, this person t- sharing the story said uh, cited a past leader who said, "Yeah, we got those uh, bills all the time, and there was a specific drawer that we set aside just for them, <laughs> and they went in that drawer, and you never saw them a- again." Whereas it it and and that was interesting to hear because the 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 current leadership seems to be. Their, their process seems to be, yeah, go you can fire your, your bill. We'll even maybe let you have a subcommittee or, or even committee hearing. But knowing deep in their in the back of their minds, it's not going any further than that. But we'll at least let you have your – whereas in the past, you wouldn't even get that subcommittee hearing necessarily on, on a bill. Um, and, and now – and, and again, in, in, in you know, to get at all of this, that did happen – 
this week, uh, uh, James, as you know, on a bill you were set to cover, the cameras in the classroom bill um, had a subcommittee scheduled, but they pulled it off uh, literally right before that was scheduled to start. Um, so it's just kind of an interesting you know, view of, you know, different ways of approaching this from leadership and how to handle those um, bills that uh, get a lot of attention often for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And the business community has been pretty adamantly against all of these bills that would target transgender rights. They, you know, they know discrimination is, is, is going to be bad, a bad look for Iowa and it's going to hurt their ability to recruit businesses and events. And I've seen people tweeting about the, you know, I think the NCAA basketball tournament is scheduled to return to Des Moines in 2023. If something like this were to pass, that might put that in jeopardy. So, yeah. uh, I think there's some momentum behind it, but I, I, I mean, I hope you're right. I hope they, I hope they put it in the special drawer. Well, and I should say on the transgender one specifically, that's a little bit different. We're, we're, that's going to pass the house. Um, uh, and I would be surprised, I guess, if, if, if but I haven't, I, it, that's just me on my hunch. I haven't asked Senate leadership yet, uh, what its future is there, but Pat Grassley did tell us this week that that one's, that one's going to get passed through the house. Um, and, and you're right, Todd, about that. That would very much threaten future NCAA. I mean, they've, they've done that in the past. I think it was North Carolina um, had that had a bill and, 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 and maybe Indiana as well, but North Carolina for sure. Um, yep. And even the ones that don't pass, there are people who have made the argument, and it's, and it's a pretty fair argument. You can absolutely um, appreciate it um, that uh, even just by – those bills getting out there and especially when they have a hearing, um, even if they're not going to eventually pass into law, they, they kind of have a damaging effect to, you know, whether it's, you know, teachers who are feeling under attack by legislation or, 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 or LGBTQ people, um, j j uh, in the past, the, the, the 10 year thing, um, the 10 year bill, um, Pro proposals to eliminate tenure, uh, people say, even by that bill just getting out there. Even Regardless of what you think about any of those proposals, there was, for the most part, what safely could be called legitimate political discourse, at least as defined before the Republican National Committee weighed in. The RNC censured, on a voice vote, Democratic sympathizers Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. In its statement, the RNC said that those folks in body armor carrying a variety of weapons and threatening to hang the vice president were engaging in legitimate political discourse. <laughs> Whew. I'd hate to see what's illegitimate. Todd, that seems to be a pretty broad definition for the party of law and order. Yeah, uh, that was, you know, almost surprising, I guess, that they would tack that on. Then they tried to walk it back, but it was basically too late at that point. I mean, it's just, it's just another example of the links that they're willing to go to try to, you know, convince Americans that what they saw on January 6, 2021, they, they didn't actually see, uh, you know, that the, those videos of, of police being beaten with, you know, everything they could get their hands on, uh, uh, you know, flagpoles, you know, people with Confederate flags in the Capitol, people trying to smash into the, into the House chamber and entering the Senate chamber and, you know, vandalizing offices and, spray painting inside Wasn't the Capitol defecating done. In, there was definitely, there was defecating yeah. yep. too. There, there was, uh, which is the, you know, I, the, I saw legitimate. 
someone that's on someone that's in, in trouble they did a they had a video of themselves in the capitol you know yelling some stuff and then it, so they broke into the capitol took a video of themselves broke, breaking into the capitol and decided they'd take a video of themselves smoking marijuana in the capitol so i mean some of these folks were not thinking clearly but uh, they didn't send our brightest that day. Yeah, and, and and you know there is a there's a rift in the Republican Party. There are Republicans who don't agree with this, uh, but the problem is they're either tap dancing around it or just remaining silent, while these other folks who want to revise the history are sort of in charge of the messaging and grabbing most of the attention. And uh, you know the the base loves it. Uh, polls show they believe the election was stolen and that Donald Trump isn't responsible. And Chuck Grassley got a question the other day at a town hall from someone who asked him about the FBI being in charge of the whole thing, the the, ins- the insurrection. Three-letter so, government agency. Again. And, and he and he sort of stepped around it and didn't really, you know, there was no John McCain moment where he's like, "You're wrong. That's not right. That is not right. You're wrong." He nothing like that happened. So. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the strategy to sort of de-emphasize that that this was a, a big deal, and you know, sort of protect President Trump and and show your loyalty by doing so. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell seemed to disagree with the RNC. He rejected its characterization of the January sixth attack, calling it "quote a violent insurrection for the purpose of trying to prevent the peaceful transfer of power after a legitimately certified election." from one administration to the next, end quote. Aaron, uh, is McDonald's target the RNC or is Old Crow using this as another jab in his running feud with former President Donald Trump? <laughs> uh, maybe a little of both, which is usually my answer to almost all questions. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he's Mitch McConnell has been so interesting on this. Um, he's, you know... Depending on your viewpoint, uh, 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 you know, if you want to be generous, you could say he's trying to I, I answer honestly um, when he can and, and still protect the party um, um, when he feels that's also necessary um, and, and a maybe more cynical or uh, uh, skeptical view might be that he's just trying to have it both ways and, and tap dance down that fine line. Um, but but he he has been interesting to watch on this in that in cases like this and this isn't the first time that he has kind of said the things that if we're being honest here we need more people and especially more Republicans to say it, it clearly uh, on this and and what happened that day um, uh, he has been willing to say those things. Um, does even he say it often enough or go far enough? I, I think that's a fair question and argument too. But but uh, you know he he's at least been out there a, a, a couple times and on the record and has been willing to your point, James, to to take on you know and challenge and and push back at President Trump on this. Well, and it's one thing to to say what he said, but it's another thing to you know then I mean they're they're okay with prosecuting these people that you know, went to the Capitol and describe it as violent and stuff, but then they block at every turn any effort to, to get beyond that to see if there was anything else going on ahead of the insurrection, wh- what the origins were, who knew what, all those sort of things. So, yeah, it's 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 good to condemn it, but, it's you know, you don't want to get to the bottom of it because you don't 
you don't want to, you know, Americans to know what really happened. Meanwhile, Senator Chuck Grassley seemed to echo McConnell, asked whether the January 6th insurrection was legitimate political speech or an attack on Americans on American democracy itself. Grassley said, it's just like any other crime committed breaking into a federal building and you'd expect people to be punished for it. He went on to say that the RNC's beef with Cheney and Kinzinger is unimportant to Iowans who are more concerned about inflation, immigration, and border security. So I'm concentrating on policies, he said. Amy, is that his way of changing the subject without offending any Iowans whose votes he's seeking? Yes. Okay. I mean, that's pretty much, uh, you know, he, he's been pretty good at, at straddling the line. There, there are definitely times when um, you can make a case that he's he's appealing to that red meat um, section of his party. And and this might be a good time to do it, obviously, um, looking at election in November. But he's also got to look at the broader base um, and, and decide if that's a good idea or not. And maybe in this case, um, there's enough of the base that, that he's able to say, OK, let's let's back off a little bit. Well, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. If you enjoy the podcast, tell your friends and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Fan mail may be sent to podcast at thegazette.com. Stay up to date on the Iowa legislature by subscribing to the Capital Digest newsletter under the Iowa legislature tab at thegazette.com. And don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluff Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Item 9 in the Mad Hatters will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our podcast, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Amy, Aaron, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Be well.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.